hey everyone welcome back to another episode of rise and glide today we're super excited to chat with michael booth about all of his racing and coaching so far um but before we get into the episode i really want to chat with you maddie about your weekend how has it been how how did you how did your weekend go Hey, Holly. Um, Thank you so much for for asking about my weekend. It was absolutely so incredible. I think it was probably the best weekend of racing ever for my athletic career as as a paddling athlete, Uh, trying to make a name for myself and trying to work my way up the the ladder (laughs) in the racing world. And uh, yeah, we we had our Canadian national team trials this past weekend in Collingwood, Ontario, which is really cool. Collingwood sits at like the southernmost base of Georgian Bay, which is like a little arm. It's a branch off of Lake Huron, which is one of the five great lakes that we have here in North America. So the lake, it, it, it provided everything. It was just a beautiful weekend playing with the conditions that Mother Nature gave us. And uh, very happy to, to say that I took home all three wins in all three disciplines. So the technical, uh, the sprint racing and the distance race. And I don't know, it's weird. Like even just saying that out loud, it's like, I still can't believe it. Like I, it's something that I just actually never thought would be truly possible. And, and, and not in terms of like doubting myself, just in terms of like actually being able to like, to win all three disciplines, you know, like, like sprinting isn't like really my jam. So I, I didn't have high expectations for that race or, or even the technical, like distance is kind of the discipline that like I love the most. And the conditions this year were great. We had like a 20 kilometer downwind session. So like, I was really excited about that, but yeah, winning the tech and winning the the sprint was just kind of like the cherry on top of like a really cool weekend and, and working really hard. So yeah, it, it was awesome. And <laughs> well done. I appreciate you asking about it. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy for you. Really well done. Really well deserved as well. You've worked really, really hard kind of leading up to this. So yeah, that's great. So what, what were the what what were the races like? Were they you said it was a twenty kilometer downwinder on the Sunday for the distance race? Was it quite windy for the sprints and the technical on the Saturday as well? Yeah, yeah. We had we had a little bit of everything. So the Saturday it was so funny. Like we woke up and in the morning it was just like piss pouring rain. It was just torrential downpour. And we were all like, Oh man, you know, like no one wants to start off a race, like all cold and wet, but we're like, okay, like this is probably what we'll have to race in. But it was incredible in the fact that like literally like a half an hour before we started the, the rain stopped and then the sun came out. So um, we ended up having quite a bit of wind from the West. So when we started the technical race, it ended up being five kilometers and we went out and left the Collingwood Harbor and went into the open lake. So when we went into the open lake, it was quite choppy. Like I'd say like one to two foot swells. Like it wasn't anything big. It was just like really messy. So it was a lot of like side paddling and we had to go around two buoys out in the open lake. So that was, that was challenging for sure. Like, it was probably, like, the hardest side chop I've, like, ever paddled in. Like, I was like, wow, this is really hard. <laughs> but uh, I I finished the 5K, I think, in, like, 36 minutes. So nothing, like, crazy. Like, not my fastest 5K, but not my slowest. So, like, I felt happy about that. And then, um, yeah, same thing. Funny enough, too, like, right before the sprints, like, the rain came back. So it, like, it, it poured for, like, 10 minutes and then the sun came out and we're like, wow, okay, this is awesome. Like we're going to go start the, the sprints. And the sprint was just a straightaway, like 200 meter sprint. Um, but it was funny because like I had my headphones in and I listened to like really aggressive, like music before <laughs> a sprint race. Cause again, it's not my forte. So I just need like everything I have to like muster up the, the motivation to, to do a sprint. So I had my headphones in and my phone all of a sudden just starts beeping like it goes wee wee and i don't know if it's like um a thing that happens anywhere else in in other parts of the world but like at least in canada it only like our phones everybody's phones will do that if it's like 
two things. So one, like um, a very serious like weather emergency or two, like an Amber alert. So like when there's like a missing or stolen child. So when, when that alarm went that those are the two things that went off in my head. I was like, Oh my God, like looking at my phone being like, Oh my God, is there a missing child or like what's happening? But then it, it ended up being like a, a tornado warning. So like the weather network was like tornado warning for like Wasega, Collingwood area. And I was like, Oh my God, like here we are on the water. You know, it's like, we're getting ready to do the sprints. And I turned and looked at everybody and I was like, well, I mean, this is motivation to go fast. Like <laughs> this will, this will help us get off the water. So um, because the sun was out and like everybody was still like walking up and down the pier, like nobody was like really actually worried that there was going to be a tornado. So we ended up just like doing the race anyway and like, yeah, no tornado passed and it was great. And uh, yeah, it was kind of nice because there was a breeze, um, but because it was still kind of coming from the west, um, it actually blew us kind of like downwind a bit. So it was funny, like we're all on the starting line, but everybody's like trying to keep their board straight because like almost like the ICF Worlds in Poland last year, you know, you're kind of getting blown by the wind a bit. So you're trying to stay in position, but like it, it was like breezy. So <laughs> we did the best that we could uh, with that. And then, um, yeah, Sunday, Sunday was fantastic because they had told us all day on Saturday, they're like, if it stays like a West Northwest wind, and if it's like really aggressive, we're not going to make you guys go and do an out and back course. We will literally just set it up so that everybody will go downwind. And um, the conditions just kept getting like worse and worse and worse in terms of the wind, like going up higher and higher. And so everyone was like, okay, well, like, please, like, let's run this as a downwind. And then, yeah, the night before Sunday, like the race organizers were like, okay, the call has been made. It's official. It's a downwind. And I was just jumping with joy. I was like, yes. Cause like, I love it. I love downwind. I don't mind going upwind for a little bit, but like with the winds that we had, it, it produced like three to four foot swells on, uh, on Georgian Bay. So like it, it was ocean like almost. So I was very happy that they changed it and the conditions were were perfect like i'm paddling out there um this one guy is named sean carney he took a photo of me and just sent it to me this morning and it's so cool because it's a photo of me like just standing like on my board and you can tell like i'm kind of like bracing a little bit but i'm like super chill and like you can't even see my board because that's how big the swells are <laughs> like you just see it looks like i'm standing on water or something like you can't even see my board and i'm just like wow yeah that that sums up the day you know like the water was like Hawaiian blue it was crystal clear the wind was howling it was like the swell was perfect it just I couldn't have asked for like better conditions and and a better race to win like that that one felt pretty sweet like coming in at just over 20k I was like yeah that that was awesome like it was almost the same distance as the Carolina Cup and my time was like so much better too <laughs> than Carolina Cup so like it felt pretty good it felt really good. yeah well done and that's something actually that we spoke with Michael quite a lot about is kind of just making the most of what you are given on the day which is a really cool way to sum it up so what does that mean for you what's next you've obviously become the the Canadian national champion which is great are you gonna use that to to get to any other races this year yeah I'm I'm not 100% sure yet um it, it's it's really cool and very special this year that a majority of the paddlers that were at this event as well um, qualified uh, to be uh, at the ISA World Championships in um, in France in in a month, pretty much like basically in September. So a few of us are talking, and I mean, as you know, Holly, like everything in this sport, it's self funded, it's self organized, like you know organizations try to like support you but it's just not really quite there yet and so basically a few of us have been chatting to see if it's possible to go to France but I've already planned to go to the ICF Worlds in Thailand this year so um I'm really half and half right now about France because like after this weekend I'm very excited in the fact that I qualified but like whether or not I'll actually have like the financial assistance like the budget to go the time to go like now organizing like our team it's it seems a little challenging with like just over a month out <laughs> but uh yeah I'm not sure so we'll we'll see everything's kind of up in the air at the moment but 
I feel like that's just kind of the way the sport goes right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And that brings us really nicely onto introducing Michael, actually. So during this conversation, we spoke to Michael Booth, who, for anyone who doesn't know, firstly, where have you been? But also, so Michael Booth is a multiple times SUP world champion. He's from Western Australia, so he's obviously also multiple times Australian champion. Um, he does a whole variety of paddle sports. Um, so we kind of spoke to him mainly about stand-up paddling, but he also does a lot of surf ski and surf lifesaving. Uh, he's also in the last few years taken up uh, coaching so he runs booth training which is a really successful kind of training platform um, and he also does lots of clinics and in-person coaching as well yeah michael booth was a very fun person to talk to i really enjoyed this conversation as well holly i think we both asked him like really cool and fun questions that we, we don't get to ask many athletes so I really hope our listeners enjoy the quality of this episode. Absolutely, yeah. Let's hear what he has to say. Hey, Michael, so good to have you on Rise and Glide today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're really excited to have a conversation about what's been going on recently, uh, how you got into paddling, and uh, all things, yeah, all things booth training. Um, how are you today? I'm doing really well, Holly and uh, Maddie. Thanks so much for having me. No worries. Uh, I think kind of before we get into the real details of the episode, it'd be really good to um, kind of hear more about you as a person. So uh, to all our, our paddlers and all our listeners, I'm sure they know who you are and they've been following your cool adventures online. Um, but yeah, tell us a bit more about you, about how you got into paddling and how you got to where you are now. Okay, so... Um... How I got into paddling, how I got into stand-up paddling. About 2014, I had a friend who was starting up a paddle brand. Um, it was called Gulliver. And, yeah, I just like, thought I could do something, something I could do well at. I was always involved in paddle sports, in, in surf life saving and um, ocean ski paddling and, and obviously then transferred over to stand-up. So I just thought it was something I could do well at. So I, I sort of you know threw the dice and had a gut feeling and I got involved that way and slowly built up from that point. Um, I, I always say like I wasn't a good paddler straight away, you know, like when I first did my paddle back, I think it was four kilometers and every 500 meters I had to sit down because my legs would get so tired and, you know, so there was a lot of things I had to learn along the way. Like I couldn't turn my board. I used to always fall off at the cans. Everyone used to get angry at me and all that type of thing. But about me, I guess I'm just a guy who, tries really hard and, and works hard at what I do and but most of all it really enjoys you know the the paddling the community and and just being a part of you know the ocean and, and that type of lifestyle that's so cool I love um actually kind of you saying that point of like when you were getting into it and not always like being the best guy I remember so long ago like also like kind of around the same time I was getting into stuff racing I was reading these articles like Michael Booth is the dark horse of SUP. And I'm like, who is this guy, you know? And um, I feel like all those beginning articles too talked a lot about you as like, oh, he's just this like flat water paddler. Like he's not really an ocean guy. And I remember thinking to myself, isn't he from Australia though? Like, doesn't he live on the ocean? Like how, how is this a, a narrative? How is this a thing? But it's like, look at your, your career over the course of like the past few years. Like it's just so crazy cool how, how much you have changed and have progressed and developed. And that must be like a really neat thing to look back on. I think with anything like that, it's all like intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And that changes over time. And I think when I was reading that, I think Chris Parker was the main guy sort of posting that I was the dark horse. And then also posting that I could only do flat water. So that was like when the sup, when sup race was really big. And uh, we always used to focus on it really hard, like the, the rate, the rankings and, and what he was saying and all that type of thing. And, He's always saying I wasn't a downwind paddler, which made no sense because I come from a downwind sport at the time. So for me, the actual, you know, turning point, I think, was Carolina Cup and we're coming into that final section coming out of, I think it's called Mason Inlet. I always get mixed up with Mason Borough and Mason, so it's one or the other. And we had about seven Ks to go and I had a downwind against, like, you know, Tituan Pio, Travis Grant, uh, I think Connor Baxter was there, Mo Freitas, like all these guys who were, really rated heavily in that downwind like in that downwind um, sport I guess of, of stand up paddling and 
that was the turning point. I was like, I got to beat these guys and, and prove everyone wrong. And, and that's something that's always driven me. Um, different things. I always, I really kind of weird like that. I really enjoy when people put me down. Um, or like, you know, like there's a comments and things that you see online and it's like, okay, cool. That's awesome. I can use that as motivation to, to get better. And um, they always say like, like enjoy the haters because um, they're the people that a lot of the time push you to be the best you can be. That seems to be a really common theme with our guests so far. We were chatting to John Hibbard recently who founded Red Paddle Co. And um, he was saying he loves it when people tell him no. Like all it takes is for someone yeah. to tell him no or someone to tell him he can't do something. And it's like, right, I'm going to prove you wrong. So <laughs> it definitely works. So have you... Yeah, it's always I think it's always the thing I with most things. You've just got to be consistent and stay the path for a long period of time. And most things take three years like I always had a I had a friend actually I think you mentioned we might go into Molokai later on but when I was first doing my first ever Molokai it must have been 2012 on the on the surf ski and, and Martin Kenny a uh, great surf ski paddler from Australia was said to me everything takes three years the first time you go and participate the second time you go and mix it up and the third time you go and try and win and that's something that I've always considered with everything that I do whether it's business or sport or you know, just everything's day to day. Like I always look at the long term and that's something that, that grind and, and, you know, like using that extrinsic motivation or even like that internal motivation where you, you want to win and you want to be the best and you want to, you know, be the best you can be. I think there's like that overall overarching, you know, um, motivation from all different aspects and that's, that's something I drive from. Cool. Did you always, were you always into paddle sports from when you were young? Definitely. Uh, we grew up, two houses from the beach um, in a place called Kays Beach in Newcastle. And my brothers were involved in surf lifesaving. So at six years old, I think I, I started sport doing that. And it was all all about going in and out through the surf and, and going swimming training and running and all the different um, attributes that you sort of have in surf lifesaving. So that sport really taught me so many different things about not only racing and, and being skilled in different ocean craft but actually like about community and doing things for the right reason and, and building like quite a good base to springboard off um whenever i wanted to to you know try my hand and try and be really good at something did you find that that crossed over to sap quite well when you when you did start paddling a stand-up paddleboard more seriously did all of your kind of background in surf life saving and and other paddle sports cross over or was there like a whole new learning curve it was very helpful, but it was a whole new learning curve. Being involved in, you know, surf life saving and ocean ski and, and, you know, like swimming and running and everything else when I was a kid, it gives you a good base of fitness, but it also gives you a good skill level that you can, you know, adapt in most things, you know, like going in and out through the surf, catching waves, popping waves, um, doing downwinders on the ocean and ski. But the thing that I guess was a big learning curve for me was, you know, doing it all standing up. It was a bit different, you know, like even at those early times, you still have people going as narrow as they could. And I was like, oh, I can't go under a 23, you know, like this is crazy. And, you know, building my leg strength up again, um, which I never really, I didn't realize I didn't have, but I really didn't have it. Um, and had to really like work my core strength, you know, doing all those different exercises to make sure that I could balance what I could do with my upper body with my legs and, I think learning my competitions as well, like the formats in stand-up are quite different. You know, you got technical racing, sprints, downwind, um, long distance, long distance in swell, you know, wind in, like paddling in lakes. You know, you've got obviously technical type stuff when you're like, you know, you've got to strategize in events when you're competing get, like in packs and that type of thing. You might have to, you know, contend with people's wake or you got to wash ride or you got to sprint away from people or all those type of things that, took me a little bit to get used to at the start like I know my first Euro tour was I was really having to learn a lot on the on the go and I was able to do quite like quite well pretty quickly because I knew how to paddle I think you know going through those different sports that I mentioned I was always you know a good trainer a good paddler but to be able to adapt that over to stand up took a little bit longer than I maybe thought it would but at the same time it wasn't probably as hard of a transition as somebody who hasn't really done paddle sports before. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, would you say now that you've been competing for for quite a while that you have like a favorite discipline or like a few favorite disciplines or 
does it kind of just depend like on the race? Oh, definitely distance racing. Yeah. I've never been a guy who's had much speed. Like people laugh at me when they say that and they're like, oh, you're still pretty fast. But it's like, I'm not fast like the fast guys, you know, like I, I can do, I can get reasonably close to them, but like I've never been able to, you know, get that, that, that stroke rate up, you know, get the power down over that shorter distance. Whereas something I've usually been able to excel at is, you know, those, those anything over really 8, 10, 12, 20, and maybe sometimes a little bit longer that's where I really feel at home and, and I come into my own in, in races. I, I feel strong. I can maintain a good pace. I can, you know, outlast a lot of people and you're just focusing on different things. And, and I find it super enjoyable. Like it's funny when you see people find say like distance racing is so boring, boring, but at the same time when you're doing it, it's like so exciting. Like the whole time you're like, this is awesome. Like I'm racing against the best guys. I'm trying to match them. I'm trying to beat them through these sections. Like where can I get away or where can I, you know, rest and save myself or what are they going to be able to do? Like, there's so many different tactics that you can, you can play in those different races and definitely distance racing is what I enjoy. I think that's so phenomenal. Like, and, and as you mentioned, like distance racing, that could be a variety of things. You know, I think when you first say that people might imagine, Oh, it's like, okay, I'm going from like point A to point B and it's like long, maybe it's flat but that's not always the case right like i i have to say your performance last year at the icf worlds in poland like both you and holly actually competed in that distance race and oh my goodness you know that was anything but flat that was anything but easy and uh i think that really spices up the sport too and makes it super fun and unique and i'm actually curious like did you have any strategy for that race like how you kind of approached that one or did you like look at the conditions that day and be like, well, I hope I survive or <laughs> like, what were you thinking for that race? It was never survival. Um, when I look at my training at home, that's pretty similar. We get like westerlies all the time or, you know, a bit from the South, a bit from the North, whatever it is. And, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of very similar to what I train at home. So for me, it was like, a, just like a normal day. And I understand for others, it, it is quite daunting, you know, paddling in 20 knots and having a bit of swell and that type of thing. But if you're used to it, it's not really like, I've, you know, I've been fortunate to be around the, the coastline since I was six years old. So for me, that was like, you know, a pretty reasonable, moderate day, you know, like there are days I'm like, well, that is too much, but that, that probably wasn't the day. So, and I know that was, there was a different, difference in opinions for that you know some i know some of the european paddlers who only paddle in lakes and that type of thing like it's really daunting to paddle in that but i think a lot of the top guys could handle it quite well as far as strategy goes it's hard so every race is so different um, whether you are going in and out through surf you're doing a sitting start you're doing a standing start you know you've got really quick guys who can get off the line really well some guys can't pop waves you know like all that type of thing so for me it's just like get off the beach as well as you can and then see where you're at. And what was cool about that race for me was I was paddling and I was paddling quite comfortably, but I, in the first lap going to the, the far buoy, which was like two kilometers out, I was, you know, getting a lead. And I thought, this is weird, but okay, because I hadn't necessarily had the best, you know, couple of, uh, sorry, the year prior racing it in Zolnok in the wind, I had a bit of a shocker and, but I was like, okay, well, you've done this before. Just get out in front and just see what you can do. And then when you turn, you know, you have the doubts. You know, you've got, you know, people who are talked up, you know, by different articles and that type of thing. And you have, um, um, you know, Noit Garyu or Tituan Pio, Clement Colmos, you know, all these guys who are really talked up in the downwind coming behind you. And I remember on the second lap, I actually was actually making a lot of mistakes because I was focusing too much on what they were doing and not really focusing on myself. And that's something I think is quite critical when you are competing is really just focusing on what you can do. And for a while there, I had to really go, Michael, like sort your, sort your shit out and really focus on what you're doing. Stop focusing on everybody else. Like you've been in this position like so many times before and you've been able to get the job done. Just do what you can do and you'll do well. And actually at the end of the second lap, they nearly called me because I fell in twice just because I was thinking so much about what they could do and not, not what I could do. And then when I got back on and paddled, paddled, paddled normally again and focused on myself, I paddled away again. So, And that was, I think, for me, it was one of my, like, the only time I've ever really got emotional after a race because there's a lot riding on that. Like I pushed back my wedding a week, I think, for that one. I 
like I did poorly the year before, like and the year before was quite hard because it was the pandemic and I couldn't race, I couldn't travel. Um, and I came in and tried to do worlds without any preparation and that was a bit frustrating for me. But overall, I think, you know, strategy and events and that type of stuff I really enjoy and, you know, you just, you should really work out what you're doing on the day and, and try and get the best result that you can for yourself. Wow. That, that's absolutely incredible. I think, uh, Holly, you, you said something similar to me, I think last year, actually along the lines of that as well, that when you looked at the conditions, it was like, you were like, okay, game on. This is what I paddle in all the time at home and found some familiarity with that. And, uh, I think you said too, right. Your dad wasn't nervous for you for that race. He was nervous for you competing in everything else, but not that one. Yeah. I think I felt the same as well because it was, I think I get, I find the races harder that probably are flat because they take so much more concentration. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, the the conditions in Poland were quite tough um, physically, but for me, I paddling conditions kind of similar to that quite a lot as well. Maybe it's not like that all the time. And um, probably when it is really windy, uh, a lot of the time I will probably go somewhere sheltered um but i don't i rarely paddle in in really flat water just because the southwest of the uk gets a lot of southwesterlies and um yeah the water's like that a lot as well so it was kind of just like going out for a paddle i knew that we weren't going to be like drafting so much or i feel like yeah the, the kind of tactical or strategy element of it was less um and it was just a case of getting out there and paddling as hard as you could and making the most of the conditions and um i found on that race i was definitely weaker in the upwind sections just like lack of strength i think whereas some of my competitors were much stronger than me on the upwind sections so they were catching me going upwind and then we turn around and come downwind and i would pull ahead of them really easily um people would fall off or like just kind of not time the bumps properly. Whereas, yeah, I was pulling ahead of them there. So it was quite a fun kind of cat and mouse game um, in a similar kind of way. But yeah, my dad was watching it and he, he said the same. He was really nervous watching me do the kind of sprint and technical racing. Um, but on the morning of the distance race, he was like, oh, this is Holly's conditions. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Holly's dad. You're awesome. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that kind of... Um, you said, Michael, that you train in conditions like that a lot. Do you kind of tailor your training? Um, do you kind of schedule it around the conditions or do you schedule it and just kind of do whatever it is that you have to do regardless? Like say you have um, certain interval sessions, will you kind of pick a day that favours them or will you kind of just do them anyway, whether it's windy or, or, or waves or what? Uh, usually when I look at my programming, it's just set out and I do what is required in those conditions. So I's, like simply you don't get to choose your conditions no matter what event you go to. So if the conditions are bad when you got to go training, then you just go training, you know, like and if the race is in, in the same way, like if a race is terrible conditions or awesome conditions or depending on what you consider is awesome and what you consider is terrible because some people consider, you know, racing in Poland, for example, since we've been talking about it, great conditions whereas some people find it like the worst thing ever they would never ever paddle in that so it's all based on your own experiences and it's all very personal i think whether you do that but for me personally yeah just try and get as much work done at home uh, before i go away and and then try and really specify conditions and um like if we're doing technical race that type of thing specify that like a few more few weeks out and practice your stars practice the turns that you might be doing you know, practice in similar conditions, but I don't think anyone really predicted Poland to be so windy. Like you look at all the videos and stuff that were, um, you know, shown prior to actually us getting there and it was all, you know, flat, clean, clear water. And I was actually speaking to a few of the locals before I got there and they're like, oh no, it can get really windy and, and it's um can get messy and that type of thing. And I just didn't really believe it. I was like, nah, no way. Like I looked at the forecast, I looked at like, you know, the general or I think it was September and it all looked, you know, pretty standard, but you never know. And fortunately or unfortunately, I didn't necessarily prepare for it, but, you know, I've been paddling for a long time. And fortunately, when I go to events, there's not really much that can surprise me anymore. Um, but, yeah, you never know. There probably is an event coming up that will surprise me. I remember um, <laughs> seeing something that you wrote. This was ages ago, possibly years ago, but it kind of stuck with me that you train with 
the wrong equipment on purpose sometimes like take a a flat water board out in the waves just to get used to it or you know using um ocean boards in the flat and kind of the other way around just because you might get to an event and it's not what you expect and you have to cope with what you have rather than kind of use what's optimal and that's i think that's a really good idea as well i think it's just important to control the controllables and when you're having on different craft like you might think you make the right decision like i go back to hungry because it was just a pretty good example for me like maybe like in the distance race about 800 meters out it was pretty flat because it was like kind of offshore but then i was swinging a little bit further out from that and i was paddling a flat water but i was like oh, i think i'll be okay with this i hadn't done much work on it prior to that point because because i didn't i didn't have one in australia i couldn't go test in thailand that sort of stuff because of the pandemic and i was like oh, i'll be fine on it but I hadn't had much practice on it. And when I got out the back, I was like, I can't paddle on this board in these conditions. Like, it's just impossible. And um, unfortunately, I got found out that day. But then, you know, you learn from those experiences and you try and make the most of everything else going forward. Like, you can you can do as, you know, you can control the controllables to a point, but then sometimes things will surprise you. And, you know, I, I always look at my decisions and go, could I have made a better decision based on the, all the factors that I knew at the time? And like for that event and for a lot of other things, if it's a no, then it's good. You know, like I'm, I'm pretty happy with my and content and I like to be quite accountable for what I do. Uh, but it's when you could have made a better decision that it gets a bit more frustrating. Yeah. How do you kind of balance? I mean, Australia is a long way from a lot of the events in Europe. How do you balance the recovery from traveling? Because traveling is tiring. Um, and obviously, yeah, you have a lot of travel to do and a lot of preparation before events, whereas maybe some other people only live like, you know, an hour on the, uh, an hour, hour flight away from, uh, from the race. How do you kind of work that? If I'm coming to Europe, I usually come about, you know, five days before. However, if I want to come in last minute, you know, I do the two days of the one day thing. You just kind of ignore it and you can still race quite well. I think my biggest surprises have been when I haven't, you know, prepared properly and, and you know, like I just haven't had the time really. Like I think I wrote earlier in the year, one of the, my, one of my quotes this year was like um, 90% of um, what you do just is, is building up to what the success is. And then 10% is about finding out what happens when you get there. I think it's the other way around, but, when you're, you know, focusing on travel and that type of thing, I think it's important to put in the back of your mind. And when you get on that start line, just focusing on what you can do from that point on. And then even if you make it like in the same thing, when you get into a race, you make a mistake, you forget about it and you just restart the race from that point. And then you, the next thing you restart the race and every stroke that you take, you are starting a new race. And I think that's how I try and imagine the travel as well. You're just trying to make sure that you can do the best you can with the circumstances that you're given and not try and imagine that everything is perfect. I'm not someone who thinks that I can create a perfect scenario. Like I might be able to get pretty close, but at no point will it ever be perfect. Most time I'll race at 90, 95% and I have to be, I have to be comfortable with that. Yeah. I think that's really, really sound advice. I remember funny enough, actually Anthony Vela saying something very, very similar. Like when we trained together for a few months uh, this past winter and, uh, we had a race in March that was called um, the Dana Point Harbor um, Hoot. So it was like going around kind of the harbor and out um, to a red buoy in the ocean and then coming back in. And for most people in Anthony's group, like they train within the harbor all of the time. So like they don't really go out into the ocean that often, like in the winter time, like summer, yeah, they'll go out when it's warmer, but winter they're always like in. So Anthony would like come to practice and be like, okay, yeah, guys, like we want the ocean to be crazy today. We want it to be like insane. We want to be falling off our boards. And everyone's looking at him like, what is wrong with you? Like what? And <laughs> he'd be like, no, like honestly train for the worst so that like when, when the day comes and it's not that bad, then you'll, you'll be happy. You know, like you, you should be putting yourself in this mindset of like, don't expect it to be flat or don't like pray for it to be flat because 99.9% .9 of the time, that's not what it's going to be. And uh, you'll, you'll set yourself up for a better race and a better mindset if you kind of approach it like that. And, and funny enough, the day of the race, it was actually flat. The ocean I looked, I was like, how is there like no bump right now? Um, so everybody in the group was happy, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's smart to, to think like that. 
I think on the subject of choppy conditions in races as well, even if you do end up going to a location to race where it's super flat, unless you are in the top three <laughs> paddlers, you've got everyone else's wash, everyone else's wake, and that kind of makes it choppy as well, especially the first kilometre and um, or if there's any kind of boys to go around it's it's never flat um because you've got everyone else around you whereas when you're training if you train on your own it is going to be dead flat in those conditions but it sounds like you do you've been doing loads of different races of different different conditions different disciplines in the last few months um you've been doing some races in europe which are quite short um and doing really really well at them but you've also been doing super well at some really longer races as well and um recently you did the Sean partners molokai to oahu race how have you been balancing the training for all of these different kinds of events difficult it's always difficult um but i think going back to something i said previously it's just like trying to do my best with the circumstances that i have and um, we also had a lot going on at home, you know, like I've got a pretty full-time coaching role down like at the surf club here. And also we've been building a house. We only moved in in April and there's a lot going on with that, but just trying to make the most of every opportunity. And some partners like Molokai Tawa, who is an event that is always something that I've idolized in a way. I think it's something that's really cool, you know, crossing the Kaivi Channel, you know, Molokai Tawa, who, and there's a lot that goes into it. And I think this year there was such a good contingent of paddlers was oh, no, arguably the best field that's ever been contested in that event. And, you know, I just, I'm somebody, you know, wants to do as well as he can. And I thought I had enough distance in me to do well. Did I do as much work as I wanted to do? Never. I never do as much as I want to do. I always have these grand plans of how I'm going to, you know, map out my, my training and how it's going to work, but I don't necessarily have the time that I had, you know, when I was early twenties to what I have now, you know, in my early thirties. So I just have to, you know, if I have five hours or whatever in the, in one day that week, I, I might have to go do the long paddle on that day. Like I can't just you know, on, on each Saturday, I'll do a long paddle. I can't do anything like that anymore. Um, you know, like paddling a little bit less, but you know, making it a little bit more quality and drawing from previous experience, previous kilometers that I've done. And I had a I had a good race, you know, like I ended up finishing fourth overall in the you know, the Molokai to Oahu, but I was also third to the wall. So there's only two cases I was third to the wall. So I had a couple of guys go around me and I got one guy back towards the end because he had a little bit of a slew. But yeah, ultimately it's such a cool event and I I sort of highly recommend, you know, everybody to do it at some point and just it's such a I think those island crossings are so fulfilling in a way. I think it's something special to, you know, get up the morning of the race and, you know, fly to the start line and, you know, get on the water and paddle back. It's it's something very special. Were the conditions good on that day? Was the wind strong? No. Oh. No, it's terrible. <laughs> no. It was flat. It, was, oh, it wasn't flat. Like, there was wind the day before, so there was good catch. But the problem was... If you wanted to catch something, you had to work a lot harder. And then you, you know, you can only use so much energy up to catch that before you had to come back to the pack. Um, it was quite interesting. You know, I've never really done a Molokai where you had to sit in a pack and, and you know, you were almost doing wash leads uh, to a point until about an hour 45. And I think Hank and Hank McGregor sort of went and then I chased him with Corey. And um, with about an hour to go, I was like pretty comfortably third, but had to battle a few cramps towards the end. and. Uh, that was a bit frustrating. I think, you know, knowing, like, uh, like, as I said before, you know, doing each race and, and trying to get my best performance. And I just felt like I had my best performance based on everything I could do. But there was something I probably need to learn. And that was probably something to do with my sodium content. And I've, I've made steps since then to try and rectify that. And I think that's what keeps you coming back to sport in general is you're trying to get that almost perfect race. I won't say perfect race, but almost perfect where not many things go wrong. And actually, interestingly, I reckon Carolina Cup this year for me was probably one of those races where I, nothing really went wrong. It was it was kind of weird. Wow, that's that's actually crazy because uh, yeah, I remember at one point like seeing you fly by. I was like, oh, there goes Michael. Hi, bye. But uh, <laughs> for for M two O, how long did that take you this year? Like Holly said, you came fourth, but I didn't see your time. I think it was three hours thirty six. Wow, that is so on- fast on a surf ski that's crazy and like 
I, I know you said earlier too, like distance being your favorite and time just goes by so fast. Was it one of those races where I feel like M2O, I've never done it, but I, I want to do it one day. And I just feel like when you're in that channel, even though it's so long, did it feel like it kind of flew by? Like, did you feel like, wow, I'm just like going along here and three and a half hours, like, boom, it's over. Or did you have moments where you're like, okay, wow, this is really hard. This is really far. Like I'm almost there. <laughs> yes and no. I think when you're in that mindset and you're in the race, everything's going quickly, you know, like it doesn't really matter how long it takes. It's you constantly just, you know, imagining that like, who's around you, what they're doing, like, how can I maximize what I'm doing right now? Can I keep up with those guys in front or do I need to like defend from like the guys behind or, you know, there's like, there's different strategies that you're trying to take. Like, are you on the right line? Cause Molokai is something where, you know, you've got your, your GPS or whatever and you're, you're aiming for a certain location. Did I go too high? If I read the currents correctly, like all those different things come into the race. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like it's, it's a reasonably long paddle. Like, but I'd done a fair few of those type of paddles in training. Um, it was one, it was funny. One of the paddles before I went away, I was on, had my headphones in and I was scrolling people. So I was like, well, I'm doing a level two, level two session. It's nice and easy. Um, but I just got, got to get the K's in the arms and get, get used to sitting in the speed for that long. So um, I was making phone calls and I guess the other interesting thing was, you know, I was coming into China wars and I could see my watch like lighting up, like, cause I obviously was coming third and I had a couple of people like messaging me going like, come on, Michael, like push, like, you're nearly there, like you're going to get third, like if you can hold this position, you know, that that was kind of cool because uh, it was the first time that I'd done it without a, a support boat. Um, I'd never really used a support boat necessarily before, but, you know, it was just one of the requirements that you had to have for every race. And this year, they fortunately allowed us not to not to have it and, you know, obviously saves a bit of money and I didn't really think I needed it. So the only thing, yeah, yeah, everything, everything was good about the race. But, um, yeah, as far as it goes with... Uh, whether it's long or whether it's short, it's it's both. How have things That's so cool. changed since the first time you did Molokai to Because it's been, well, several times now. And uh, going by your rule of three years, like <laughs> you go once and you kind of learn and then you mix it up and then you, you try and do really well. Like, has that been the same with this event? I think it's changed just because of the way that I've done it. You know, the first time I went over, it was 2011, I think. And... I went over so naive. I flew over there. Um, I was staying on a or somewhere. I was borrowing a boat. Like I knew nothing about the island, so I was probably staying in the wrong area. Um, I didn't have an escort boat organized. Like I was just super naive, you know. Like I just like ah, oh, it'll work out when I get there. And um, one of my good friends, Corey Hill, we had this saying like everything works out. So that's how we sort of lived, you know, in those early days. And we just try and get enough you know, income to pay for the race or pay for the the flight there and then try and make some, some you know, prize money to pay for your expenses or something like that and then just keep doing that. You know, that was that was sort of like the, the goal. And going back, that was probably this, for me, the one that I did this year, probably the, the actual second race, if that makes sense. I think I've done two more since then, but like I did the stand-up Molokai in 2019 where I raced James Casey and I just didn't, get the chance to prepare you know like I went to Europe for two months and was competing and um it wasn't um something that I had time to prepare for properly so that was for me it was like oh kind of like a bit of a uh what would you call it missed opportunity in a way but at the same time I did as much as I could you know racing on the Euro Tour you know I ended up winning that and not really doing any distance work so a bit naive that I thought I could go there and paddle 52k without any preparation and then I also paddled the Sursky that year is doing the same thing you know i was just traveling around racing everywhere and not really doing any training and um so you can't really do that so as far as going to mix it up like i think the next one i really really know what i you know i could probably do if i, I do like do the training plan that i know i could do if i have the time um but ultimately with that race it's just about having the time to get on the water and do the work and you just don't really have it as you get older like i think your time is a lot more limited you have a lot more responsibilities and um, fortunately or unfortunately, like, you know, like I, I've chosen to have all these responsibilities, you know, with the family and, um, you know, like with work and, but those things keep me paddling. So it's like kind of like trying to find that balance between, well, if I wasn't doing all these other things, I wouldn't be paddling anymore. But at the same time, I'm still a little bit in my mind, that selfish 20 year old who just wants to paddle and, and you know, just 
paddle for a living and that's all I want to do. So it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely changed um, the way that I've thought about things, but at the same time, still trying to achieve the best results that I can. Cool. And how have things changed now that you have a, a family and a, a child? I think you just want to spend more time with them. Um, I think you enjoy that family unit more, um, especially during the pandemic when I was traveling a lot by myself. It was like a lot harder coming, uh, going for two weeks, coming back for a week, going back for two weeks, coming back for two weeks, you know, like it was just back and forth all the time because you felt like you were missing all these opportunities with your your boy and, um, you know, like obviously building that, that family unit as well, like having the um, – like the house as well like we've never had a house before so that was kind of a cool milestone for us to achieve and we've always lived sort of like out of a suitcase six to eight months of a year and then you know live with parents or something like that for the other bit and that's been really awesome and and obviously having a little bit of responsibility as well like with the the coaching online with the clinics that i do um with the coaching in person i do here in perth i really enjoy that as well you know seeing other people do well and you know, having some part in that, like obviously you're just helping people achieve what they can already achieve and with a little bit of push and guidance and support. But that that is definitely fulfilling as well. So it's kind of like shifting the, I don't know, the, the self-belief, but shifting into other people so they can achieve as well. And, and you definitely get a fulfilling, I don't know, part of that as well. Yeah. How did you get into coaching? Like, did you, and, and kind of writing training plans and stuff, was that just from your own experience or did you have any kind of support or, or qualifications in, um, in training? Well, my only qualifications was that I did it a lot. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of, um, different coaches through the way. Like I was fortunate to have, you know, the best coaches in surf life saving, the best coaches in kayaking, or at least in Australia um like a lot of good coaches through my junior ranks and that type of thing and i think you got to early sub days maybe 2017 2018 maybe 2017 i think it was i just had a few people ask me like do you do coaching can you coach me and i was like yeah i think i think i can yeah let's do it let's give it a go you know i've always been a yes man you know just I'll, i'll work it out as i go and that's how I began, you know, coaching. I didn't really have any qualifications. I didn't really have any qualifications till the last couple of years. And technically, I don't have any qualifications um, as far as sporting bodies go in, in stand-up or ocean ski or anything like that. But I got I had to get the accreditation in surf lifesaving. But I started that without having, you know, that, that accreditation necessarily at the start. So I think the knowledge that you have from doing sometimes is... I think more than the course. Um, I think there's a lot of cookie cutter courses out there that you can sort of go out and say I'm a I'm a sub coach or I'm a something other coach or that type of thing. And I really maybe uh, it depends on your definition of a coach. And I think your results will speak for themselves. Um, I've been fortunate to coach a lot of good athletes, uh, a lot of good like intermediate paddlers, a lot of people. I've been fortunate to you know make them enjoy the sport more or you know enjoy the different parts of whether it's ocean, like any ocean sport or other things that they do. And that's that's where I kind of focus my attention and building the person and the character as well as the athlete. I think that's something that's been critical for me um, through my coaching is, you know, being a little bit more holistic with the way I do things and not just focusing on well, this is what you should do and, and this is what I did or something or anyone else did and this is what you should do because it worked for me. And it's like, well, not really how it works. You know, I have that philosophy of trying to find out like get to know the person and then work out how they can get better based on you know how much time they have how focused they are on it how motivated they are on it or you know like someone's goals like i I have a squad of about i don't know about 80 to 90 people here in perth and when i send out a you know a coaching goal sheet each year some people have the, the goal of having fun and that's awesome. So I'll help them have fun. Like, you know, I won't be hard on them and that type of thing, but some people want to be Australian champions or world champions or whatever it might be. And like, well, I have to be really hard on you and you have to be, you have to be better and you have to be better week in, week out, every session, if that's what you want to do. And then if, if at some point you realize that's not what you want to do, that's okay. Um, but you're really just targeting individuals and, and helping them achieve what they want and helping them find out the way to get there. 
Yeah, that sounds super unique and like super special too. You, you sound very similar actually to Larry Kane. I find his coaching style is very similar to that. Um, he is more like, okay, I'm going to like observe your behavior and understand like, okay, what, what are your goals? What, what does motivate you? We'll kind of have this plan for a little bit, but we'll keep checking in to know how do you want to get better or have your goals changed? Do you want to make it fun? Cause we can make this fun. Or if you want to be serious, we can, we can get serious. And I think that's like, it's authentic. It's, it's real. And it's also like innovative too, right? Cause exactly like what you're saying, not just like a coach laying out a plan and saying, well, this worked for me. Like, you know, for example, someone like Larry, who's like, it worked for me when I won gold at the 1984 Olympics. Like, <laughs> so you have to do this now. It's like, no, no, no. Like, let's play around with it. Like, let's tweak the program and see what works for you to have the most success. So I bet that must be like really satisfying for you eh? as a coach, just to kind of like see people's progression and uh, kind of get to know like the paddler too a bit more like on a personal level. Like, do you find uh, you have clients that you're like, wow, this is really cool to like, watch your growth from point a to point b absolutely and the clients that i end up you know working best with end up being your really good friends as well right because you have a like mind you're, you're trying to achieve things together and um it's one of my favorite things like going to europe and, and seeing a lot of the athletes that i have and you know just catching up with them and, and having a beer with them or you know go coffee or team at an event you know that that's that's something that I really enjoy. And I spoke earlier, I think, about the community and that sort of aspect of sport, which I've enjoyed for a long time. And to your point, like, yeah, Larry's, Larry's great. I actually had – I didn't know him that well, but I had a really long chat with him on one of my podcasts um, a couple of years ago now. And, geez, we, we really, really enjoyed um, – we really, really enjoyed the uh, the chat. And we kept going. And it was like – I got to the point where I was like, do you have time? Because we keep going. He's like, yeah, yeah. So we go for like another hour and a half. <laughs> such a long time yeah. but it's, we, we end up coming to the realization it's like yeah you're kind of like me but like 20 years younger and I was like yeah, yeah. All right. you're about right so I think you know just finding and this is probably a bit more holistic but just finding what you enjoy in life and creating that into a, a, a business or something that you enjoy doing or a work thing that you enjoy doing I think that's I don't know that's part of what life's about and I've been very fortunate to find paddling and find coaching and being able to you know focus in on that and being able to be you know a successful athlete in in, in a way and, and a successful coach in a way as well so that's that's something that I know I find really fulfilling and I'm, I'll hopefully be able to do it for a little bit longer yeah that's that's awesome well honestly I, th I think so far you've had such an incredible amazing athletic career and now that you've been able to translate it into coaching with like booth training over the past few years too i think like big pat on the back for you michael that's uh <laughs> quite the accomplishment so definitely keep going because it's it's awesome i'm not going to be a hater like i want to motivate you but i, I don't want to say something bad you know <laughs> to like motivate you but yeah no yeah. no I, I i can get um motivation and positive things too but maddie thanks for <laughs> There's um there's a training group like near me, um in the UK and we've been chatting about um kind of the I guess like the mental side of racing and um there's people who are self uh, admitting that they're really good at training and really bad at racing so you know they stick to the plan they do everything they need to do they've got the fitness they've got the skills but when it comes down to like the pressure of racing they really struggle to actually put their training into practice and to, to perform as well as they could do when they're paddling on their own and when they're training. Um, how would you kind of deal with that as a coach if you had somebody who was good at training and not so good at racing, but they wanted to kind of achieve all of their goals with racing? What would you, how would you kind of approach that? I'd make them race all the time. So whether you're competing at a local time trial or with your friends in a group or whether you're competing at the world title, um, the feelings are all the same. Um, and I've always said, if I, if I no longer feel that, then I don't want to race anymore, you know, cause when you're on the start line, you still, you know, you've got to get off the line. You've got to you know who your competition are. You've got to be comfortable with where you're at on that start line as well. You can follow all the structures and the procedures in the world, but if you can't get going off that line, there's, there's, it's all a waste of time. And 
I always find mentality is 50% of racing. So you can do all the physicality you want, but if you can't, you know, find your zone and be able to execute what you've learned in your training, then your training is not really that valuable to you. So how do you, you know, work on that mental side of things to know, A, when I finish this race, I'm going to know that I couldn't have done any more. That's my main thing that I tell people. It's like when you finish, if you couldn't have done any more, you've won. Like that's all you can do. You can't, you can't necessarily win the race all the time. And like as much as you want to, and as much like even when at my level, like I always want to win. Like that's just the way it is. And I'll come away and I'll, I'll debrief myself. But as long as I can work out, it's like, well, I couldn't have done any more. Then that's a win for me. And that mentality, I think, goes into all areas of life. You know, like if you're somebody who is self-motivated, who can get up and go training, you know, when you're supposed to go and, you know, set that structure, set those guidelines for yourself, you are going to be successful in not only in sport, but in all areas of life. And that's something that I, as a coach, really focus on, especially with the, the younger kids that I coach. Like I have a squad between, let's say, 13 and 75. Like there's just such a big range, you know, especially here in Perth. And when you're coaching a younger person, you're just trying to instill you know, good habits, good mentality, and, you know, helping them along the way. And they get to 20, you're like, okay, so what do you really want to do? If you want to do that, then these are the things that you need to do to get there. But you need to do it. Like, I can't do it for you. I can't babysit you along the way. When you're on that start line, I'm not there with you. I can't do it for you. Um, but then you've obviously got the, the older athletes who, you know, have different goals where they might want to, you know, make six minutes a mile, six minutes a kilometer, you know, like that's goal for a lot of people or get under you know, 28 minutes for 5K or whatever it is. So it's like, but they're like, sometimes they really struggle with, you know, trying, being able to do their best when it counts. I think that's something that people miss a little bit where they want to be the Tuesday night, 4 p.m., six interval champion. And, you know, it's like, that doesn't matter. Like, you need to you need to stand up when, when, it, when it's important. You need to stand up when, like, everyone gets counted. And, and that goes for whether you're going for a, a job, you know, like whether you're going for a job, you've got to, you know, like that's a critical moment. That's a critical moment of pressure. You have to perform in that job interview or whether you're, you know, negotiating a, a contract for your job or you're negotiating a contract for your house or your car or whatever it is or all these things, you really have to be accountable and you have to be able to perform when the pressure comes. And some people will be able to do that and some people won't, but definitely everybody can improve at it. I guess it's just like confidence in your own ability, basically, isn't it? Knowing that you are capable of doing something, it's just a case of getting on with it and and not being distracted. Do you kind of coach the, the mental side of things as well then, or do you mainly focus on the physical preparations for your paddlers? I would focus a little bit on everything, and I, I think you pick up on indicators for different athletes when you can tell they're down or you can tell you know, they're getting a little bit ahead of themselves or... Sometimes, you know, you've got to bring them up and sometimes you've got to bring them down a little bit. So you've got to really be across that. And sometimes you think that you're a bit of a psychologist, I think, as well. And, you know, you can be a helpful psychologist or you can be not that good. And, and I've had to learn over over my you know time as a coach to get better at these different things. And I'm definitely not someone who has all the answers. I, I definitely don't. And I just always try and be the best that I can in, in that coaching environment. But as far as you know, coaching, I think it's important if you are training in a group as well, the sense of community is super important, you know, and I say to my, my kids that I have that I coach, just like thank each other for the session. That's something that I, I learned from one of my coaches actually, um, sprint kayaker, Anders Gustafsson. He's actually in Canada. He's the head coach of the Canadians, um, sprint team now. And he was always like, thank each other for your sessions. Like, you know, give each other like a fist bump or a high five or whatever it is and make sure that, you know, everyone is thankful that we're all here together, you know, we're all here for our own goals, but we're all here to push each other forward. And that's something that I try and instill in my athletes, but also the sense of community, you know, making sure that you're catching up for, you know, whether it's a coffee after training and you're not talking about training, you're talking about whatever's going on, whatever you're interested in, um, whether you're going for dinners together and, you know, creating that group and community environment, which I think is important, but also some athletes don't have that. So then trying to create that, whether it's online or whether it's in a, a group on Facebook or, you know, just, linking with like-minded people and pushing yourself forward because 
sometimes it can be lonely, especially for those athletes who are out by themselves, you know, training week in, week out by themselves and, you know, reaching this goal a long way down the track. And I, I even find that sometimes you know, I've done a lot of training by myself and like, oh, like no one even cares. Like I'm just here, I'm by myself. It's like lonely, but eventually I'm going to get there. But sometimes you, you get let it, like you lead yourself astray a little bit. So it's about focusing on that, that path and, and trying to stay motivated throughout that. But I guess... To answer your question, I think it's about coaching all aspects of training, whether it's it's mental, it's physical, and you know it's like a holistic approach, and, and even like trying to help them be better with their you know like with their work life, or you know like that's important too because if they're having a terrible time at work, they're not turning up for training after work. So you've got to make sure, okay, what's going on at work? Why are you like not feeling you know happy or whatever it is? Because or can you get up and go train before work so you feel good and you know, feel feel motivated and, and then you go to work, you know, so you don't feel run down after your work. You get up every morning, you're like excited to go paddling. So there's so many different ways you can look at it, but um, I try and be super holistic with everything that I do. You end up being like a therapist as well. <laughs> By the sounds <laughs> yeah, of it. Uh, that's so, so cool. Yeah. I'm sure they really appreciate all of the support. It, it's, just, it's just getting to know the person and, you know, being for, there for them and trying to help them, you know, be the best they can be. Yeah. Do you do you find um, that challenging with clients that through like booth training you have to coach online? Like, do you feel like the relationship is a little bit different or um, just challenging because it's through a screen or do you hop on Zoom calls where it is a little more like personable? Um, like obviously there's different varying levels of, of the coaching and I probably sometimes I give a little bit more than what they're, what they're sort of getting charged for, but ultimately I just want to see people do well. And, and sometimes I have more time than others and I'm able to you know, give a little bit more. But, and, and also it doesn't necessarily work with everybody. Um, I definitely had, you know, athletes or clients, depending on how you look at it, who definitely haven't synced with the program. And, and I always feel like oh, I haven't done a good job and I, I should have done more. I should have done this, you know. But sometimes it just doesn't it doesn't gel, and, and you know you have people you know leave the program you know pretty quickly, and kind of disappointing in yourself. It's like okay, well, same as like racing. It's like what could have I done more? You know, like how could have I helped this person better? Or, but then you also have some athletes who are awesome who you know do everything that I ask of them. If I ask them to update their, you know, how they felt after the session, or how they how they were feeling, or send me a comment after each session, like they're the people that I work the best with because they give me the, the information that I need to help them better. Um, the ones who obviously have the FaceTime and the phone calls and that, like, they're always much um, better to work with because I know them better and I can actually help them more. Um, some, some unfortunately, don't, you know, sign up to plan, but they aren't, well, this is my opinion anyway, they aren't necessarily motivated to do the work. They're not really, you know, fully in. They've got like, their foot half out the door all the time and, like, oh, and then you're constantly trying to like even ask them like okay how's it going like have you done the session like why well, haven't you think you watched like you haven't told me how you're going like all those type of things and it gets to a point where you're like I just I can only do so much and maybe I should be focusing my attention on the athletes who are that I can make them better so yeah it is it is a bit of a balance and you're always trying to be the awesome of what you do but sometimes you do feel like oh I did fail a little bit there so it's a bit of a balance yeah, I, I think that's totally, that's definitely um, normal in terms of like the human side of, of life and, and business, right? Like trying to always perform at your best and, and succeed, but you you learn a lot and you grow. And I'm actually curious, like how long have you been running like booth training specifically? Like how long has this been a business for you? I'm, I'm, I don't officially know. I think I I worked it out and I put it on my LinkedIn one time, but I don't use it that much. But I think it was twenty mid twenty seventeen. But I did have people I was coaching that I didn't call booth training. So originally it was called training by Boothie. Actually, um, one of my one of my clients at the time, uh, Dave White from Melbourne, he was like, I was like, what do you reckon I should call it? Because I didn't have many at the time. I was just, you know, I was I think I was coaching um, like Charlotte Spicer from New Zealand, and I had like Angie and Paul Jackson, I think, on the plan and. It was like super early days and people just asked me like, oh, can you help? Like, can you help me coach and that type of thing? And Or help, you know, make me a better athlete. And yeah, so then, you know, then it just obviously, I was like, oh, maybe I can do this. Like, it's kind of like having a sponsor, right? Like I've, you know, got a few sponsors that help me get around, but then I've got my own sponsor that, you know, helps me and 
you know, did like this, my own sponsor ended up being like my main gig now. So like it's definitely my coaching and my own business stuff is the main income source now for me. So um, it's something that I definitely take pride in and I try and do well in. But yeah, it's, it's been, yes, uh, six, 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 seven years, I guess I've been doing the coaching. Wow. Oh, that's, that's so phenomenal. I think, uh, I'm, I'm curious too, for just our listeners, where can they find like more information about your training or join, join in on one of your programs? Um, if someone is like interested to learn more or wants to start training with you? Absolutely. So all my stuff is on like Instagram, Facebook at booth training, or you can go to my website, michael-booth.com.au forward slash booth-training. So uh, plenty of information there about the different plans and, and things that I offer. But if it's uh, not something that works for you, definitely get in contact. And I'm sure we can come to an arrangement where hopefully it works out. That's awesome. I'm sure we can leave uh, the links to your to your website and your Instagram and all your social media um, in our show notes so that people can find you and train with you and have an awesome time on the water, no matter where you are in the world, <laughs> whether you're in Perth or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it becomes it becomes a bit irrelevant i think when you're especially when you're coaching people in like like the states and then people on like similar time zone to australia and then in europe you know like i i wake up and i have like so many messages <laughs> from different parts of the world so it's like i have to like turn it off at a certain time but at the same time when i'm in europe i'm like better in europe obviously when i'm in america i'm better in america but just um yeah it just depends but it it all really runs well we're pretty fortunate these days where i think we we're saying earlier you know like Probably you're in the UK and Maddie's in Canada and we're all having a conversation um, all on different time zones. Um, we're pretty fortunate. I think in our, you know, age bracket where we can have access to the whole world in the, you know, on my phone. That's pretty crazy. It's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, having yeah. all of those messages coming through at all times of the day is a cool problem to have. Like it's, it's a problem <laughs> because you don't switch off. And uh, yeah, sometimes it's probably the middle of the night for you and it's completely the opposite for someone else. But also how cool is it that you get to do such amazing work to help your own paddling, but also help other people's. It's really awesome. Well, I, th that's actually a really cool point. I find coaching motivates me now more than um, training does now. I think training, training for myself, like we talked about that intrinsic and extrinsic motivation earlier on. And I think that extrinsic, you know, of, of I don't know whether it's, you know, like you might mind me saying like Peter in Switzerland going out and doing a 45 kilometer paddle because he's got like 11 cities coming up or Henrik in, you know, Denmark doing the same thing or, you know, John on the, you know, the East coast of the States, like getting up and going train 6am and then he's got to run a doctor's practice. Like that sounds pretty cool. You know, like you're like, okay, these guys are getting up. I got to get up as well. So I get definitely a lot of motivation from them. That's so great to hear. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been really awesome having this conversation. And uh, yeah, I've learned a lot actually about kind of what, it, it's really interesting hearing what motivates other people. And um, in the same way that you coach your athletes, like it's interesting for us to hear what what it takes to be the best. So <laughs> it was uh, really good to, to speak with you and we really appreciate your time spent with us today. And um, what time is it now for you? It's almost 9 p.m., but um, thanks, Holly. Thanks, Maddie, for having me on the podcast. And uh, hope to see you guys in Europe or in America very soon. Yeah, well, have a good night. And, uh, yeah, hopefully see you soon. Bye, guys. Thanks so much for listening today to this episode with Michael Booth. We hope to see you again next week for another episode of Rise and Glide. But in the meantime, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And I hope you get on the water this week. Rise and Glide is brought to you by the team behind Paddle Logger. Get more from your paddling with the Paddle Logger app. Find it on the Apple App Store today.